Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a problem solver, so when I see a problem and when I feel I can help, I propose solutions, and that's what's so good about Ubisoft. I mean, the entrepreneurial spirit is still there. It was there at that time, but it's still there. You're listening to the Ubisoft Game Makers podcast. I'm Charles Adam Foster Simard. Ubisoft is celebrating its 35th anniversary this year. And one thing I love about working for a video game company with that kind of history is talking to people who have been at Ubisoft for a long time and who can share some great stories about how the company has evolved, but also insights and lessons that come from that experience. Today's guest on the podcast is Anne Blondel-Join. Since joining the company in 1996, Anne has played key roles in production and live operations for Ubisoft games like Far Cry, Trackmania, and The Crew, working to guarantee long-time engagement on Ubisoft's titles after release. Today, as VP Open Innovation, she leads Ubisoft's Open Innovation Accelerator, a brand new initiative that seeks to build partnerships between Ubisoft and innovative players in the video game industry, like indie studios. I spoke with Anne about career evolution in the video game industry, learning to reinvent yourself and take on new challenges while following the same core objectives, and, of course, how she sees innovation in our industry. Well, hello, Anne. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm very good. So thanks for taking the time to talk to us today and to share your experience at Ubisoft and, and your, your career, really. I, I want to talk about your whole career. So I'm, I want to first go back to the very beginning and know just how you got started in the industry, how you got your first job. Oh, so that was a long time ago, as you mentioned. It, it's a it's it's a career now. Um, I'm, I'm being called a veteran. I'm not I'm not sure I like that word, but hey, that's the way we're called. So, I'd rather you know, veteran is better than senior, I guess. So, so that was mm-hmm. like 25 years ago, and it was luck, opportunity, I guess. I've always been a gamer. I've been lucky enough that my dad and my brother were saving into video games. And this is where I ended up playing video games at first with my brothers, then my cousins, then my friends, then the friends of my friends. And this is how it started. I never stopped. And when I was in, in college, actually, um, it was a business school and I wanted to play games. So we started a, what we call the association. I don't know how you say that. It's, uh, you know, people, I mean colleagues or comrades from school coming together and we had to we were making people pay to play games and to play on consoles and it was it was not that much I mean it was uh, one 10 francs at that time so 1.5 euro Mm -hmm. you know a month to rent a console and some games and this is how I got to play for free for three years so it was a student club at school exactly thanks a student organization it was actually yeah and its name was called Games Bond so it was quite funny (laughs) you know we were so proud of that so so I've always been into games and when it was time for me to get a real job when I as I said I got lucky I looked into you know they were uh, 
ads, paper ads again at that time. Um, and uh, I found Ubisoft and uh, I applied. I never thought I would be taken. I went to some of the interviews and I loved what I found there. And I guess they liked what they found in me too. And this is how I ended up. I started with business, obviously. That's why I mentioned I was in business school. I mean, it was the easiest way for me to jump into uh, the video game industry mm -hmm. because obviously I had no training, no education in video game building. But they were at that time nobody had been trained nobody had there was no school no university right. no nothing so it was quite easy for me to go to the, through the business uh, door and then five years after I went to the production door which was what interested me the most at that time and still does <laughs> so you didn't study obviously video games you studied business did yes. you see uh, video games as a viable career at that time before actually seeing you know, open positions at Ubisoft or even when you were studying, you know, it was games were just for fun and you were studying, but you didn't really see it as an opportunity for work. Games were for fun. I mean, they were for fun and always hard for fun for me, but mm -hmm. it's great that I can be, uh, you know, making a living out of having fun. But having said that, I mean, yes, when I applied for Ubisoft, when they recruited me, my, my father, he said it was not a career for him. And right. frankly, at that time I was 22, so I didn't think about a carrier or anything. I just thought, hey, that, that looks like fun. This is this looks like something I know how to do and right. why not give it a try? So, And I didn't realize what I was doing, I, actually. I, I jumped there and I saw a bunch of people who loved and were passionate about games like I was and they were a hard worker like I was. And this is how it started. No, I, at first I have to say I didn't think about it as a career at all. Mm -hmm. So this was 1995, I think? Yeah, when I, when I applied in 95, when I got recruited, that was the end of January 96. Mm -hmm. So it was just uh, after the PlayStation being released, we were right. going to be releasing the first Rayman. So there was such so much excitement within uh, not only Ubisoft, but the overall industry. Right. I mean, you know, that great new console was coming on the market and everybody was just so amazed by all of the possibilities it was going to be bringing to all of us gamers. So yes, it was an exciting time. That's why also I think I, I stayed there because it was all that energy and I felt that there was, yeah, money to make for all of us and to have a true living out of it. Mm -hmm. Can you take us back a little bit to that time? So the company was 10 years old. What was Ubisoft like in 1995, 96? Well, from what I recall, I'm not sure that's exact, exact truth, but from what I recall, we, it was uh, 200 people only. Uh, our CEO, Yves Guimot, was already there and his desk was in the middle of all of our desks. I mean, and actually we, not, not all of us had desks. The first thing I did the first day I went there was I put up my desk myself <laughs> and we were moving our desk all over the place anyway. I mean, there were more people coming and coming and coming and coming. So we had to push, you know, the walls and everything. So it was a, it was a lot of, um, I don't know, it was like, a, how, how do you say, like the at first it felt like School being, you know, continued for me because right. we were all the same age, more or less. We were all passionate about games. We liked playing games. And it was all about, we had no money, not that much yet. I mean, even though Ubisoft was going to be introduced to the stock exchange at the, end of the, at the end of this year. But it felt like there was um, energy coming from all over the places. And... Mm -hmm. You, you had a, a specific role, yes, but uh, everybody was entitled to help everybody else. Right. I mean, when we were doing shows, like it was not E3 at that time, but I remember going to Met P in Cannes. We used to go at night, you know, putting the, the booths up all together. I mean, we were painting, we were planting, uh, right. you know. You just did what needed to be done. Yeah, absolutely. And it was all of us doing uh, in the same adventure. Mm -hmm. So it was very much a startup culture, it sounds like. It was, it was. Yes, actually. Yes, it was. 
Now, you've moved quite a bit in your career at Ubisoft. So mm-hmm. as you said, you started more on the business side. You eventually moved to production side. Um, I'm, I'm curious about your progression because it doesn't seem very linear to me looking at your, your CV, basically, looking at the different roles that you had. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to know, you know, how did you manage those shifts and changes in the different roles that you occupied? And how did you make those decisions to say, well, okay, now I want to switch. I want to do something new. I want to take on new challenges. Okay, that's a lot of questions. Yeah, it's a lot wrapped into one. <laughs> so um, what, I've, what I'm good at and what I think Ubisoft feels that I'm good at is that I, I like blank pages. I like starting something from scratch. I'm a problem solver. So when I see a problem and when I feel that I can help... I propose solutions, and that's what's so good about Ubisoft. I mean, the entrepreneurial spirit is still there. It was there at that time, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky enough that uh, I was bringing some ideas, and some of them were, you know, get canned, but uh, some of them get, you know, I got the approval, and this is how I moved to the next position. And I have to say that since I started, I've always been lucky enough to build my own job, my own position. Right. Before me, there was not that position. And it's just because we were building up, you know, it's like flying a plane and trying to fix it at the same time. This is what I've been doing all the time. So it seems that there is no uh, logic into it, but there's one which is, well, there was a problem which needed to solve and I felt that I could help and I wanted to help and I felt excited about helping. So I proposed and as I say, nine times out of ten, it wouldn't work and then it worked so this is how I did it and I think the the second thing is that I always wanted to be close to creative people because I'm creative myself but not as good as those people and obviously not in video games but I think I have a, a talent is to understand what creative people want to do and I think I'm, I'm quite a good supporter so I can help them get a focus on their creative vision while I deal with the other stuff which is getting on their ways. Mm-hmm. So I mean resources, planning, budget, obviously that comes from the business education and having that uh, crave for creativity and technologies has been super helpful for me. So I always wanted to go as close as possible to creative people. So this is when I had the opportunity to jump into production at that time, that was a third-party development. I asked if I could go, and I said, well, yeah, why not? Let's see what you can do about that. And this is how I started. And they wanted me there because I was, again, a business person, so I knew how to negotiate contract. And all of a sudden, I realized that I was not that bad at listening and understanding the vision and making the vision possible. Mm-hmm. And in the end, we ended up working with Crytek on the first Far Cry PC. We ended up with working with Gearbox on the first Brother in Arms 1 and 2. So it was super rewarding as well. It was not only a business approach, it was also a content uh, approach. And I was at the service of the content people. And then this is how I joined international production within Ubisoft, which is uh, responsible for uh, supporting uh, internal studios. And here again, I was there to help understand the vision, understand the objectives and make sure that I was providing the right means when the means were needed Mm -hmm. for those teams to achieve their vision. So it's a good mix of uh, recognizing kind of your own strengths and your own interests and then combining that with what you're good at and where you're needed and where there might be opportunities Yes, and then jumping on those. Yeah, and excitement too. I have to feel that it's going to be fun and that I'm going to be bringing something. I mean, I... I'm lucky enough that I'm not sitting behind a desk and saying, okay, what am I doing today? There's always something interesting. And I'm, and if it's not, I always find a way to make it interesting because I'm working with a great people who make it interesting, interesting as well. I know it sounds cheesy, but that's true. I mean, thanks to the team, it's always interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and in terms of getting those skills and that expertise, have you gone outside of Ubisoft, for example, with associations or, or groups in the industry? Well, yeah, I was honored enough that uh, when uh, Audrey Le Prince and Julie Chalmet from uh, Women in Games France asked me to join at the very early stage, I feel that it's a responsibility uh, for me to share what I've been experiencing, not as a lecturer, obviously. I mean, as I said earlier, I've been very lucky and it was a matter of opportunity to seize them. And mm -hmm. I have that interview makes it sound that everything has been working perfectly <laughs> all the time. But I can tell you it's not the case. But uh, here I'm here to anchor it. But I'm not lying. I mean, what I'm saying is that um, there's room for everyone and it has to be a more diverse industry. And some people feel that it's not going fast enough. Yeah. And yes, it can feel that it's not going fast enough, but it starts from the beginning and it starts from everywhere. So mm -hmm. I feel that uh, being able to, you know, if I can help and if people feel that when I talk, it's interesting and it's uh, clicking for them to realize that, yes, they're made for that job. Well, I'm super happy to do that. You know, and I'm also doing it because I have a 12-year-old um, niece and she wants to be in the video game. And right. I'm just like, hey, maybe it's time for me also to share that and make sure that it's going to be a safe environment for her to grow. I'm not saying it was not safe for me, but I feel that if I can contribute and if people feel that I can contribute, I'm not going to be staying on the side and say, oh yeah, but do it yourself. If I can play my part, I'll do it. So that's why it's important for me to be part of Women in Games Friends. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about what you're doing now. Yes. So you're a VP of Open Innovation mm -hmm. and you lead a team that's called the Open Innovation Accelerator. Yes. So I think a lot of people don't necessarily know what those things mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> although there are words that we know. But so put together, what is what exactly does your team do? What do you specialize in now? Okay, so Open Innovation is looking outside Ubisoft for talented, what we call whiz kids, whiz uh, indie developers who are doing things we don't know how to do, we cannot do, we don't have time to do, we don't mm -hmm. have the expertise to do, we forgot how to do, and so on and so forth. So this is where the innovation part comes from. And open, obviously, it's to open the doors and go to them and say, well, we are very fond of what you do. Uh, we would love to find a way to collaborate with you. Um, how does that sound to you? Would you be interested in collaborating with us? And what are your needs? I mean, you know, sometimes, it, yes, it's a matter of money, but I have to say that money doesn't do everything. If no. you don't go and show that, again, you understand the vision and you care about the vision and then you're going to be respectful about the experiences that the developers wants to bring to the gamers, I think it couldn't be working. So that's the approach and the philosophy that we have within the team. And Accelerator is that we feel that the more we access to different brains, creative brains, the better it is for them and for us. We are strong believer into collective intelligence and collective creativity. So this mm -hmm. is what we do. We spot with kids, indie devs, that we feel that we would love to be working with. We go to them, ask them if they'd like us to come and talk to them. And if they say yes, well, we have a full process to make sure that we only keep la crème de la crème. Mm -hmm. But not only for us, for them too, we want them to be 100% convinced that they want to work with us. And at that time, it's, uh, it's up to us to understand, as I said, their needs and propose the best collaboration. Could be what we call the learning expedition. So we spend days or hours with them sharing our knowledge and expertise and experience. We bring our best experts to the table and they do the same. And it's very rewarding because it's, a, you know, different brains looking at the same problems with, with different approaches and different solutions. So mm -hmm. in the end, it's always profitable for all of us. Yeah. 
So it's not just about funding necessarily. It can be all kinds of different partnerships. And I assume that they can also learn from some of the things that we do and vice versa. Actually, yes, if I can share an anecdote. I mean, the first time I went to GDC, that was back in 2018, when I came and asked those developers if they were willing to uh, partnership with us, yeah. the first answer was, oh, we're not looking for a publisher. And I was just like, oh, that's great because we're not only publisher, we're mainly developer. I mean, 80% of our workforce are development people. So I yeah. said, well, you know, it's a developer talking to developer. So at the very beginning, people were just, oh, okay, Ubisoft, not only a publisher, and it's not all about money. I said, wow, money could be involved, obviously, but let's see if we can make it work together and let's see how we can benefit from exchanging with each other. Yeah. And yes, so it's a lot about learning in the process and as I said earlier learning about what they're trying to achieve so that you know we want to open our doors so that they open their doors yeah. that means when you understand their needs all of a sudden you can uh, pick and spot within the company things they're not aware of yet within Ubisoft because it's it's you know it's confidential or anything yeah so we can offer them to get in touch with uh, teams who are not being uh, known so far from working on, a, on an amazing new title from Ubisoft. And we make those connections because we feel that it could be uh, helpful for the developer and that what they are willing to share with us could be helpful for us as well. So yes, yeah. it's a lot of uh, learning at the beginning. So I think it's no secret that the industry is quite competitive, obviously, between between you know big video game companies usually. And th there's also quite a culture of secrecy, I think, and confidentiality in the industry. So when you start, first started this initiative and you're approaching these developers, are, are they used to that openness? You know, you're saying at first they were seeing you as a publisher or they were seeing us as a publisher, but is there also this kind of surprise at this desire to exchange so openly I think they were they are so willing to share that sometimes we had to tell them don't tell us anything <laughs> until the non-disclosure agreement right. is signed because you, we don't want you to feel that we're going to be doing you uh, harm or anything mm. we're not there to steal anything we're yeah, here yeah. to share and sharing is a, has to be uh, balanced so I have to say that it really it's really a matter of generation and I'm not talking about age there I'm talking about maturity, if you're confident about what you're doing and the strengths about what you're doing, you're not afraid of sharing because right. you know that you have something that no one else can copy mm. and that you will only benefit from uh, getting some knowledge from someone else. Yeah, yeah. So that trust, it's interesting what you said, the, the trust comes from the confidence in your own tech or your own project mm -hmm. or your own creativity. Mm -hmm. Yes. And again, as I said, I mean, the way we work too is that we're not receiving pitches from indie developers from all over the world wanting to get money and funding, mm. we go to them. We mm -hmm. scout them. We have a scouting team. I mean, those people, they have they have a nose, so to speak, you know, like in perfume. They, they, they smell, they can feel what we call weak signals. Mm -hmm. You know, they are, they are going to shows or digital or physical. They're uh, looking at the press. They're looking at Steam. They're looking at Twitter, Kickstarter, Twitch, you name it. Everywhere all those indie developers are. And then when we realize that they could be a great fit, then we go to them and we ask them if they're willing to. So I think that's the most surprising thing for them is that it's the other way around. That right. We don't ask them 
to sell us something. It's yeah. rather us selling Ubisoft to them to see that. And it's a way for us to show them that the, we want the relationship to be balanced. Mm-hmm. So you, you spoke about your scouts earlier. What are they concretely looking for? Is it uh, innovative tech? Is it creative creativity in terms of the games themselves, the game modes, the content? What exactly are they seeking? That's a good question. We, As I said, we're not business developers, so we're not looking at the titles from a business perspective as well uh, at first. Not asking the question, oh, will it work or will it sell, will it sell yeah. or anything? The only thing we're looking at, it has does it have potential in terms of engagement, in terms of activity, in terms of retention? Is it bringing something new to the table? And not only to the, the, the overall industry table, but also to our own table. And do we see a fit? Do we see synergies possible between them and us? So what we're looking at is, yes, proof or weak signals about uh, gameplay and game design. I have to say that... First, gameplay, game design, then the team, because again, it's it's creative people meeting creative people right. and human relationship are key to that. I mean, you cannot pretend to bring entertainment to people if you're not entertained yourself and you're not having fun doing that and you're not enjoying uh, discussing and sharing with the people, your, your partners. Mm-hmm. So, and then comes... If it's a, a reason why the, there's a potential in terms of retention, activity and engagement, there comes maybe the technology, there comes maybe their organization, maybe the people they hired, maybe the tools, the instruments they're using. It could be anything. Mm-hmm. Now, I know the initiative just started, so this is maybe still confidential, but are there some examples of some partnerships and some whiz kids that you've been working with that you can talk to us about? So I can share some of the learning expedition within know uh, been doing already. So we have had a great uh, learning expedition with BOSA, which is a studio which has built, for instance, a surgeon simulator. And we were very fond of their the way they approach game jams internally. So we shared on that. They shared that to us. And in exchange, they were very eager to learn how we're building uh, procedural uh, dungeons within uh, the divisions. So this is what we did. We did also learning expeditions with Machine in Mensch. They've been developing a game which is called the Curious Expedition. And those guys, there are only two. And we were just, you know, those guys, they're prototype fun, like, we wish we could be prototyping it that fast and that quick and dirty. So we were very, very amazed with what doing. And they were interesting into how do you work, build a world? How do you build an IP? So you work in innovation and I'm, I'm curious to, to get your take on how do you um, stay up to date on all the innovations in the industry? You know, what be, what's cutting edge? Because of course, I mean, since you started, the industry has changed so much. You were talking about the first PlayStation just coming out when you when you were starting and now we're on... Uh, the fi- five generations later. So how do you stay up to date with, you know, what's going on in the industry? What are some of the trends? What is just a trend or just a fad also? And and what things are there to stay? First one, I'm lucky. Again, I'm curious and I like learning. So every time I see something that I don't get or I don't understand, even if it's, it might not make sense in the end, I like looking at it. Second, I have a great team. And I'm not saying that because Matthew is next to me, but I have a great team. I mean, those guys, they know what they're talking about and they are, and I listen to them very carefully because what I like the most is when they come to me and say, oh, that's going to be working. And I'm just like, what? I'm not getting it. Can you explain to me? And they are patient enough to explain it to me. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm growing and I say, oh yeah, 
I can see where it's coming from and where it could be going. Mm. So that's how I keep up to date. I mean, myself, the teams I'm working with and the teams surrounding us within Ubisoft, the whole group uh, has great people like that doing the research for us. And what about your skills like yourself in terms of personal kind of development at Ubisoft and professional development from role to role? How do you stay on top of your game and get the right skills, both in terms of soft skills and hard skills? Uh, I think I listen a lot and I look at things a lot. I'm not an extrovert. I'm more an introvert. So I'll look, I'll listen and I ask a lot of questions. I'm not afraid of asking questions. And I think it's it's part of my personality, but it's also thanks to how Ubisoft was at the beginning. We didn't know anything about video games. You know, we just knew how to play them and we didn't know how to make them. So we learned while we were growing. So we've always been asking ourselves questions. So I would say that, and on our hard skills and soft skills, again, it's it's an exchange with people. And it's true that being uh, so close to external developers, it's great because you have access to different cultures. And I'm not talking about working cultures only, but also, you know, cultural, um, going to different countries, different languages. Uh, different approaches. So that's that makes you, you know, always challenge yourself and always ask yourself, are you doing things right or wrong? If I can share an anecdote with you, when I started uh, with Nadio, I was a Nadio Live Managing Director. And I have to say, I was super happy to be joining that team because I had fell in love with, uh, with, with what they were doing. I mean, that was my very first the reason why I decided to join them is that they took me to the World Cup of Trackmania. That was at uh, it was in France, in Paris. It mm-hmm. was a summer a summer holiday, and I was just like in shock. I never felt that in my whole life, even in concert. And I was just like, oh my god, this is what I want to do. So yeah. I joined them, and you know, I had been in um, production for so long and business for so long. I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna help you get inside Ubisoft. You know, get right. you know. And I mean, I swear for the. First six months, everything I was proposing, I was totally out of what was needed for that team. I knew what to get close to the consumers was. I didn't know what to get close to the players was. Mm. And that turned upside down everything I have been doing. I mean, I learned community development, community management. I learned esports, obviously. I learned everything about online. Not everything, but I learned a lot. And during those days, in six months, it was like a slap in the face. Yeah, it must be hard. It was hard. It was hard because I was like, oh... All of a sudden, everything I know, I don't know anymore. But I felt good about it because I knew that I had been around for quite a long time. So I knew I could bring things to the table. But Mm -hmm. I knew also that if I was being too uh, uh, obnoxious and arrogant, they would kick me out. Right. And what's interesting is that it was reversed again. I was there to teach them, you know, how Ubisoft is doing things. And in the end, it was the reverse. They taught me how you do live games. And this is how I've been pushed onto the crew. And this is why I decided also that the crew could be the first game as a service for Ubisoft, thanks to everything I learned, thanks to Nadio. But Mm. I learned it the hard way. Yeah, it was a time for you to sit back, to learn to sit back and just kind of take it in and learn. Absolutely. So it's interesting also what you're saying that it's thinking of the players less as consumers and more as community members yes. who, are, who are there also, who are participants yeah, and Yeah, actually it's not game. our games. Once you have players coming into the game, it becomes their games. Yeah. And the 
I think the beauty and the success comes when it becomes our games. You know, there are games, but when I say our games, it's Ubisoft game plus the player's game. Yeah. If, it may, if it becomes their games, you're going to be losing it because it's, they might be taking you to somewhere you cannot deliver what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. If it remains your games, well, they'll be running away, so to speak. And if you manage to do it as a very balanced relationship, then all of a sudden I think it becomes something super strong and super big and I think uh, the crew has achieved that with uh, with you know it's been released in 2014 and I think of, obviously I mean the, the biggest one which succeeded was in Ubisoft is Rainbow Six and I think yeah. even if it's it's hard very hard because sometimes you you know you it's like it's it's a, it's like a personal relationship. You have highs, you have lows, yeah. and but you have to trust the relationship that you have built together with the players. And as long as you trust, and you know, I always say when people are when gamers are mad at you, it's still good because, it's because they care. Exactly, exactly. When they stop saying something, then you have to worry about it. Mm, interesting. So you have your your finger on the pulse of the industry, I like to think, working as you do, leading the Open Innovation Accelerator. So for you, what are some of the trends that are emerging that are really exciting you? Is there anything that you see coming on the horizon or just emerging today that, that you know you, you're, really, you're really excited for? I'm not sure it's something coming in the horizon. I think it's something becoming real, mm-hmm. for sure. And it's going to be a no-brainer now, but it's, it's that gamers are... I mean, we, we say gamers are stakeholders, but it's true. It's their games, our games, we build it together. And our role is to propose to offer gamers experiences. Mm-hmm. But more than that, it's offering tools and instruments so that they can make the games the way they want it to be. Mm-hmm. So it's a hyper-personalization, it's a community approach, it's obviously UGC, but also UGA. You know, you have gamers doing a lot of more active content, just not okay. only pushing, uh, you know, stickers. So you, UGC or, is user-generated content, yes. for those who don't know. What's, yes. U, what's UGA? Oh, it's my own word. I'm not even <laughs> sure it's, it's, it's there yet. It's a user-generated activity. Okay. You know, when... We can, uh, make, we can make it a thing. Oh, cool. Thanks. <laughs> I give you a percentage. <laughs> See, that's the business. So yeah, um, yeah, that's for me. That's the biggest tendency. And, and what I love is that uh, I, I recall um, again that uh, at GDC it was a long time ago. I was having an interview with someone from the BBC, and they was telling me, "Oh, how do you see the future?" I said, "Well, you know, I see Sony and Microsoft being uh, driven by the players to so that all of their consoles merge together, and all of the players coming from wherever they were, they will be playing together." And he was staring at me like. What? You know, those are world gardens. And he was right. They are world gardens. But right now, it's not up to us to decide anymore. The yeah. gamers have the power. And I think it's cool because who else than the gamers know better than what's good for them? So we have the talent. We can provide the talents. We are, I mean, we need to make sure that we provide the best experiences possible yeah. so that they want to come and stay with us. But then it's up to us also to, as again, to give them the tools and the instruments so that they can really make those games their homes so to speak, or at least the place they want to gather to spend time with their friends. Well, it's nothing new to me because World of Warcraft, we've all heard about those stories, people getting married and stuff like that. And we've seen that with the pandemic, with the COVID, that kids were gathering again together, you know, using games and Roblox is doing a great job on this front. So I think, yes, gamers, 
game is really, and again, I'm going back to games bond, but it's a way to bond people together. And whether you play or not within the games doesn't matter. At least you're experiencing the same thing together. And it's something which makes you feel good, that you're proud of being part of, that you feel that you can express yourself, that you have, um, that you're deciding your own rules and you can be yourself because those, the games fit your rules. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for this uh, enlightening conversation, Anne. Maybe I, we can end on one last word also, which is what game are you playing right now? Splitgate. Splitgate? Yes. Oh. Go on the internet and look for it. Yeah, I'll check it out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Anne. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you so much. For more information on how Ubisoft and the Open Innovation Accelerator are supporting some indie games this year, visit ubisoft.com indies. And in case Anne's story has inspired you to join us and start your own journey at Ubisoft, check out jobs.ubisoft.com to see opportunities all around the world. This episode of Game Makers was produced and edited by the team at Engel. I'm Charles Adam Foster Samard from Ubisoft. Transcripts of our episodes are available on Ubisoft News. For more from Game Makers, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 